Hello and welcome to the Football Collective Podcast, a football research podcast for debate, discussion, highlighting members of the collective, their research and all things football within the world of academia. episode 550 non-playing staff have been put on furlough because of the coronavirus pandemic from a moral and ethical point of view i i don't think that a, a premier league football club such as spurs that that made profits of almost 100 million pounds last year i i think it looks very poor um okay at the moment of football seems to be getting you know thrown uh, into the media to deflect don't know their individual situation so from the outside it may look as though well you know that is wrong but unless you're on the inside and you're dealing with things day in day out it's a very very difficult situation as uh, so not only to comprehend but to actually say especially from my point of view from the outside to say well that's right or that's wrong see football clubs as being extremely rich a lot of them have billionaire owners and so they can't imagine that a football club has financial issues but we've only seen just today Burnley have released a statement saying that if the season doesn't get completed they're looking at a shortfall of around 50 million pounds. I think there's a situation here where football has to look at itself and say can I really just because the government is offering its teat do I really have to muscle on that? You make a, a good point about football clubs as I've said repeatedly uh, when I've made speeches or press conferences you know we're all in this together. wouldn't be able to read about football at the moment without discussing furlough. So we sat down with freelance journalist, writer and podcast host John McKenzie to discuss this issue. We discussed furlough in football in general, furlough in the Premier League, how football might look after COVID-19 and the state of play in the football media. Uh, my name is John McKenzie. I'm a freelance journalist, kind of. I'm a freelance football writer. Um, and I do, I guess, multimedia journalism at this point in time. Most of my income comes through doing podcasting. I work for, uh, most of most of my income comes from working through a podcast called Football Today, which does daily style news podcasts, takes a story from the football news and uh, goes a little bit beneath the surface on it. But I also do other things. I do editorial work. I do writing. I do, I mean, I, I set crosswords for some outlets as well. So all kinds of stuff to keep my head above water. Well, we, we met through the collective and we've become quite good mates just sort of through football. Um, one of the discussions we were having last week, at the end of last week, was about the issue of, of Premier League clubs not pay, paying their staff properly. I think it was after, I think, mm. the, the club we support, Leeds United, mm. it was after they came out as one of the first, or if, if not the first club, to say that they were going to cut player wages to accommodate the staff payment. Uh, mm. And you had sort of a different take on it to, to quite. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about your mm. thoughts on that initially and where you're at now with that? Yeah, I think the... The general consensus amongst the British public is that footballers are overpaid and therefore when something like this happens, it's simply no problem for them to take a cut in their wages. And whilst I'm broadly um, I'm broadly happy with that approach, I do think footballers are vastly overpaid. 
I think everything has to be considered for within the, the, the wider context of, of the capitalist system that we live in. Um, and when you consider what's been happening with the way that the government have been treating um, the, the concept of player wages in the last uh, few months, then I think a different picture emerges. And, and that picture is that what we have with, with footballers is a, a group of overpaid uh, people who shouldn't be paid as much as they are and an ignorance towards a lot of people who actually won earn a lot more money um, than footballers um, and also in many respects actually control the means of production to use that Marxian phrase um, the owners for example who um, are being able to be let off the hook somewhat for the fact that a lot of these football clubs that they own are running at the cusp of sustainability and are actually using the footballers really to bail themselves out and try and keep everything as normal. So I guess there's it's a context issue. Um, obviously, if you want to look at the context of a footballer versus someone on the minimum wage, it's a it's an immor- it's a moral abomination, of course. But I think as well, if you look if you step back and look at the wider uh, context of the capitalist system within which it's fit, then there's a very specific reason why the government are punching down on footballers um, and also trying to use that message to deflect away from valid criticisms about the way that neoliberalism has allowed free market ideologies to come in and let people who are owning football clubs and bankers and hedge fund man- managers to live at a, a level of inequality that is way higher than should be expe- expected as well. So yeah, for me, it's it's just a general, a more general view of, of why the, 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 there's something more beneath the surface there with these critiques of footballers. If we're talking about the furlough strategy that the government have taken saying that they're going to cover up to 80% of wages, one of the things that I brought up was where do you draw the line when football clubs should be allowed to use that and where is it morally acceptable? Mm-hmm. Because you'd say so our football club that we support in the Championship, the Championship's known for, for a lot of clubs running at a loss and there's, there's, there's some sort of clubs in the Championship that haven't got the wealth of, of the top half of the Premier League. Um, and it's where you draw the line and where you, where you find that acceptable. Yeah. I just want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, again, like we've got to accept the context here is important too. And whilst I would have huge criticisms of the way that football has been structured financially in the last 20, 30 years, we're now in a situation where you can't suddenly reinvent the wheel and and change the way that economics is working in in the game and what we're at the stage we're at now is sort of economic mitigation how do you make sure that everyone's getting paid enough to survive how do we make sure that vulnerable people are being protected um and that that it makes it harder right ethics and, and morals are hard um and so, you know, I have no problem whatsoever with, with football clubs using the furloughing scheme if that's the only way that they can get around these issues. I would much rather that um, football clubs were using the furloughing system if if the decision is between that and just laying their staff off. Um, and obviously that changes your position on how you, how you um, approach the players as well. But again, I, I reiterate with the players, I, I come at this from a, from a Marxist um position which is you know the players are workers as much as anyone else and the problems with the system are not I don't think so much the responsibility of the workers as the owners and I guess that's that's always going to be my position that it's 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 easy to focus on the footballers as um, examples of, of, of often moneyed guys who often seem to not really add that much to society I mean as soon as the football finishes right suddenly you're sort of left around with this sort of idea well what actually do we get from footballers um but 
yeah, I think that my position is always going to be that, that this is about how do we mitigate economic circumstances now. Um, so I have no problem with, with furloughing systems being used by football clubs. However, I also... I'm not particularly positive about the idea that football clubs will use furloughing systems without actually trying to use it to bend the rules. That's the that's the the reality of late capitalist Western world that we live in now, right? That you free market free market ideology rules the roost, and and anything is justified as long as you can make profit from it, and that's and that's pretty much the long and short of it. And when it comes to a thing like a global pandemic, suddenly those rules are shown up to be completely in, ineffective as a, a means of governing a, a country. And so that's I think that's where the crisis comes in: the tension between what has become accepted ideologically and what is actually workable in terms of day-to-day life in a world where we can't actually function economically. It does seem quite ironic, of course, that there is this sort of budge towards socialist policy and a lot of, a lot of things that were in the Labour manifesto that were mocked are now being embraced as a, as a means of, sort of helping businesses like football stay afloat, do you not think? Mm. Yeah, no, of course. Um, and I think that's because there's a realisation now that this this is like the last gasp for for the capitalist system that we live in. If they don't do this, there won't be any economy to come back to afterwards. And so it, the real question, I think, is going to be how sustainable are these uh, um, capitalist approaches? And there's certain things, obviously, that the government are doing that give the game away a little bit. So the fact that a lot of what's being done is being done in the name of offering people loans rather than something more like um, universal basic income, which has become a reality in Spain, for example, uh, this week. You're not seeing the same thing there. So this is very much a Tory government doing everything they can to keep the economy alive and then hoping they can go back afterwards and let's let's not beat about the bush. If they can get through this and then can get to a point where they're like, right now we've had all of this time where we've spent money, we're going to have to go back to austerity even um, stronger than we did before. So uh, I think a lot of the proof of the pudding with what the Tories are doing will, will be in the eating. And, and if we get through this and, and suddenly they want to um, try and r- return to the, the time before the pandemic, then, I, I, well, we'll see what happens. But I, I suspect a lot of people will not be impressed given that we will not be impressed and make it make it sound like people are watching TV and soap soap opera. People will be really struggling and we'll go into a recession and the government will have have to help people out. So that will be when the proof of the pudding comes. So one thing I've noticed away from the politics of it and the centralisation of, of the football economy is that the news come out about Liverpool initially that they were going to furlough their staff. That's been changed now. But then I, I think it was just a, a matter of hours or maybe a day after that Man City said that they were not going to furlough staff. They were going to continue to pay, uh, pay people. And there was this sort of strange tribalism on social media between, mm. between a lot of opposition fans saying that Man City are only doing this for, for a PAR exercise or they're trying to play the good guys. And we've discussed corporate social responsibility before um, mm-hmm. times at length and, and we've got almost different views sometimes on that. But I found that even if it is a corporate social responsibility move, that is at least they're still paying people. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, tribalism is going to happen whatever the case in football, especially in the current climate. I think, you know, we're still at the beginning of this. We've we've been in lockdown for less than a month and people are still thinking as though and acting as though the paradigms of of thought are still the same as they were before um so i i'm hardly surprised at what's happened 
Um, but who knows? Like in in future months and years, even people, this might have a, a huge effect on the the sort of paradigmatic um, ideologies that are operating within within our societies, and, and they may change. That said. Manchester Manchester City is a club that exists as a as a means of washing the face of a a, a particular moneyed state in the Middle East. So, with that in mind, I mean, what what what's the purpose of us talking? What's what's the purpose of us talking about what we should or shouldn't expect from from Manchester City, given that that is the immediate context out of which they, they've arisen. I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if there, there'd been a meeting where they sat down and, and said, what's the best way we can come out of this? It's disappointing that Liverpool weren't so self-aware. I mean, given that their whole um, shtick at the moment is almost angled towards being like ethically better because their manager is someone who actually has some kind of level of self-awareness, is someone who has some kind of self uh, self-awareness of, of his own place in society it seems mad that you could be that you could be angled that way you know this more than a club or, or it means more or whatever it is that that, pe- that these football clubs talk about to to be able to come out of that context and then say we're going to use the government's furloughing system and then backtrack as soon as the fans disagree with it doesn't look good um but um, in, in the same sense the pr shift if there is one at manchester city could equally not look good the important thing and, and i'm probably going to end up saying this a lot is that what matters is that vulnerable people here are getting their wages paid for in a in a crisis so that they can afford to look after their family they can continue to support the the people who are dependent upon them and um in many respects that sort of meta conversation isn't really important until after the fact and i think that's when again the proof of the pudding will be in the eating when we get out of this and we look back over the way that certain clubs have behaved and then we with that with that sort of post hoc um uh, view of, of what's happened we can then say these were the good companies during the pandemic these were the good football clubs during the pandemic and these were the bad football clubs now obviously when it comes to corporate and social responsibility there's a sense in which you know you're damaging your own brand awareness um so your your yeah your brand awareness in, in within society so if you do something that is considered bad uh vis-a-vis Weatherspoons, for example, we, when we come out of this, I wouldn't be surprised if Weatherspoons take the hit. Um, when it comes to football, you have the problem that you know it's not as if you can shop around football clubs. It's not as if um, a Liverpool fan is going to say, "Well, that's it. Now I'm going to go and support Everton." Um, and so that's when it's going to be um, interesting to see what sort of impact that this has had. I think generally, whether or not we see more protests at the level of, uh, of football clubs, whether or not we see more people joining supporters trusts and trying to hold their clubs to account more. And I think that needs to be done. I don't think that's been done enough because I think more that, more often than not. We think that we owe something to our football club. I mean, we're both Leeds fans, and um, we both know that, that there's a lot of fans out there who are very happy with the way that Leeds is run as a club, simply off the back of the fact that Leeds are doing quite well on the field. Um, and I think there's, there are questions that had Leeds not been doing so well might have been raised earlier, and and that's what it comes down to. I think people people are happy to sort of ignore things when things are going well, and as soon as they they stop going quite so well, that's when questions are raised so I, I think again a lot of this is going to um is going to have to emerge once we're on a slightly more even keel um economically as a country and then and then and and in terms of the, the crisis itself obviously but i think it's only then that we'll really know what we can say about how clubs have acted it's almost a in a way a cruel reminder that this is 
hear from the words of the fans and the, the tribes and that this is a, a billion a billion pounds or billion dollar industry that a lot of us don't really have a say in. Mm. And you, you mentioned something about restructuring the game after this pandemic. Mm. And do, do you just want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot and I really don't have any concrete suggestions really. I guess my question is always going to be how does the how do you get from the the situation that the game is in now as an economic system where it, it's highly financialized and players are on astronomical wages, uh, agents are on astronomical wages, broadcasting revenue is is sky high. What what are the conditions under which that system can change and I'm not entirely sure that you can just restructure it from within I'm not sure that they'll be able to come back afterwards and the Premier League will come in and say right we're going to start talking about wage caps we're going to start talking about um, I don't know reducing the the price of of, of the TV revenue um, dockets and, and, and working out a way to make it more freely available to people I mean they're almost certainly going to have to do that because I think I think there's going to be so little expendable exposable income um at the end of this that that people are going to have to make really hard decisions about what they can and can't afford and as soon as that starts happening then the TV revenue packets are going to have to drop down can will that be enough to for the football to change will will that be enough for football to readapt to a new system i'm not entirely sure i'm i'm an advocate of mark fisher's um adage which is it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism and if, if you tweak that to football i think it is easier to imagine the end of football than it is to imagine the end of capitalism so perhaps the only the only way that anything will change is if f- football clubs literally die off and 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 things um move from there that said the Premier League is a very very rich club and I suspect that whatever happens the Premier League will survive and it will be the the teams lower down the pyramid that that change now that raises certain questions as well I mean can you can you have a sustainable Premier League without the rest of the pyramid I mean the majority of development is being done by clubs at at some level I mean even when you talk about Chelsea um, for example a, a club who does a lot of their youth development uh, by by poaching players. They're still bringing those players in, having had them developed from from a very young age up to to other ages as well. The the whole of the development system does rely on the pyramid in that respect. What what's going to happen? And then when you if you if you if if you were to reduce like if you were to reduce the football leagues down to the very top tier, what happens below that? How do we how do we have that sort of sense that um, I don't know, even, maybe even meritocracy. That you, if you start the lower leagues, you can work your way up. You've got to. There's got to be that um, professionalism all the way down in order to have quite the amount of players involved in the game as there are. So there's huge amounts of questions, and and I suspect that maybe the only way that football would change and become more sustainable is if there is that crisis where something gives. And then a lot of the the football league has to be rebuilt from the from the ground up. But um, I think that's that's a long way ahead, and certainly would require someone with more economic nous than I have for sure. Talk about sort of how you're doing in the lockdown, and as somebody quite well connected in in the football media, and how how the media of football is is doing at the moment. I know we always poke fun at the Athletic about some of the titles and the themes of their articles and they're quickly running out of a lot of things to write about. So you just want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, an, it's an, another interesting aspect of this whole pandemic thing is how does 
the media survived without anything to write about. Um, in in terms of myself, I've taken I've taken the economic hit, but that's mainly because the, a lot of the places that I'm working for are small, independent, or, or not particularly well uh, well moneyed institutions, which is fine, and 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 that's okay. I'm going to be okay through this, um, but. I'm fortunate in that I'm working for a company that does maybe more sociological and news focused stories. So we've got plenty of stuff to go on. We're, um, I've just done a piece of this for this Thursday on player wages. So a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about, We're talking to Will Davis, who's a professor at uh, Goldsmith University, a sociology professor, talked to Dan Story as well, who wrote a few pieces in the eye uh, about the furloughing scheme. So there's plenty of interesting stuff for us to write about. Next week, we're doing a FIFA week. There's a lot of um, interesting stuff being revealed through FIFA's, uh, the, the court, ongoing court case with FIFA, there's stuff about um, Jack Warner, um, bribery and corruption that led to Qatar being um, uh, awarded the World Cup. There's also interesting news coming out today, in fact, in that court case about um, the way that TV executives have been bribing in order to um, obtain the TV revenue rights that we've talked about, um, the TV broadcasting rights, sorry, that we've talked about already today. Um, so there's plenty of stuff going on. Like the business of football is not slowing down. Um, the world of football is a wonderfully diverse uh, uh, phenomenon, and there's always going to be something for us to write about. When it comes to the day-to-day grind of having to write about a club that isn't playing anymore, you know that that's hard. And I say that as someone who who does run a Leeds United channel where we try and talk about stats and tactics. You can't do that particularly well when there's no games being played so that yeah there's a whole section of the media that is 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 struggling right now and i guess the question is how long can those places survive on the one hand and how long will it take for those places to adapt in order to to do something more to do something more applicable within these sorts of times i would say that um my experience, I run a, a, a number of different podcasts and a number of different topics, some outside of this sphere of sport. And it, it does feel as though you would, you would think that something like this would impact you positively because you'd think, well, people have got a lot more time on their hands. They're going to want to distract themselves with something. But my experience of a lot of the uh, outlets that I'm working at is that we've seen a drop off of uh, probably around 40% in in almost every um, instance that I've seen in terms of people in, uh, consuming football content in particular, um, which I guess makes sense if, uh, I, I guess if people, people don't have football and they're just going to play it off by not really thinking about it, you can't, it's quite hard I think to, to think about your football club in a big hiatus in the season um, and then not have any way of sort of satisfying that need to talk about it or write about it. So I think a lot of people are just putting off um, listening to podcasts or reading any written media on the topic. Um, I, th- I certainly think that my experience has been, oh, I've got time, I could listen to a podcast, and then I scroll through my podcast aggregator looking at episodes, and I just have no motivation to listen to anything, really. So I think that's coming into it as well. But when it comes to the athletic, yeah, it will be. I mean, the athletic has a huge amount of capital behind it. Um, and as an example, they've, I think they've, they announced the hiring of at least two or three people this week on Twitter. I've seen, so they're they're clearly just playing it off as business as usual. Um, we know we know that they're a venture capitalist funded firm. We know that they've been able to 
um, pick up lots and lots of uh, extra funding tranches. So I don't, I mean, when I spoke to Ed Malian um, before they launched in last summer, um, they claimed they had a 10 year uh, budget really. So I guess they, they are seeing this as a sort of blip in terms of maybe the subscriber base, but in terms of still being able to provide um, uh, um, sport, I think they would consider themselves able to sort of absorb a year of, of no real topic to write about um but it will be it will be interesting to see how it's gonna it's gonna affect them because particularly in the uk arm of the business we're just coming up to the point where they would be wanting to talk about retention rates how many subscribers are they going to retain from this season to the next and you know if once people's year-long subscriptions start running out are they going to renew them if there's no football on almost certainly not and so it could set them back a lot, really, because then they they may be coming into the next season, whenever that next season starts, with um, back at square one, where they're going to have to say, right, we're going to have to try and build this this subscriber base back up. We've we've almost had two years two years setback, and we're we're now two years into a ten year project where um, we're now essentially starting in an eight-year project so yeah it will be interesting to see what happens to them there'll be a lot of other i mean they're they're the lucky ones they've got money um there's so many other companies that just don't have money they're furloughing off staff i've been chatting to some people who have been furloughed i, I know some of the guys at joe quite well um and they've been furloughed for a few weeks um it's going to be tough for a lot of people um but yeah i, I guess we'll we'll with so many of these things we're not going to really know where we're at until we come out of this at the other side there's no end in sight for the for the football calendar to restart uh, and so the in that respect there's no end in sight for for media outlets to pick up work back through this so just as a, a sort of way to finish i know you've mentioned there's no end in sight for the football how do you see this season season concluding i know we've seen in belgium that they've given the title to club bruges but how do you see this English football season concluding and do you think it'll be over before 2020? Um, I have no idea, really. I suspect that the English football leagues are going to want to have the season finished off some way or another. Um, and I suspect the way that that will happen is by starting the the new, the new the old season as, as soon as possible and then running straight into the next season. Whether or not that will happen in 2020, again... I hasten to add that I have absolutely no idea about this and no no real source who's telling me anything. Otherwise, um, I would be surprised if the season is played out in 2020. I suspect it will. I suspect that the, the general attitude is going to be we need to get through this peak, which will be the big peak, and then we're going to have to try and work our way through the Christmas period. Um, and I don't think they're going to want to start anything before Christmas because I think Christmas, again, if this if this disease is seasonal, which seems likely, I think, from some of the data that's been coming out, then there's no point starting the season before Christmas. And I don't think they're going to have enough time to do that so that they could play the rest of the season before Christmas. And so I think they're just going to play it as safe as possible and they're going to wait until the new year and then try and fit in the end of the season Um at the beginning of 2021 and then hopefully go straight into the next season for the 2021-22 season as it would be. Um, but again, I hasten to um, add that I have no I have no idea about that and that's just me speculating. I think that's probably, it may look like a worst case scenario, but I think it's probably the, the worst case scenario. The, the problem with this pandemic is that you can't really say anything about it and you can't really 
get second guess it you can't you can't say well you know if the if the curve comes down by july then we could play in august and september and then be finished but i just don't think that any league is going to be happy to put anyone at risk until they are convinced that there isn't going to be some kind of loss of life at some point and that's not going to happen i don't think until a vaccine comes in which i can't see happening before 2021 um but anyway so that's a very rambly not very helpful answer to the question but i, I do think the season will be played and i think it won't be played until in, in until 2021 john mckenzie thank you very much for coming on no thank you